You're listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Hey guys, welcome to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm here with Sarah Cook and Lindsay Leighton. Uh, we're going to talk about sort of a difficult topic. They all have been, but we're going through this series, How Do I Talk to My Kids About Something Tough? And for me, suicide, this is one of the toughest ones we've had to talk about. So before we jump into this topic, I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves. So tell me who you are and sort of why you're here with me talking about this. Um, I'm Sarah Cook. So I am a licensed professional counselor. I work at Lifetree Counseling Center. Um, I've been practicing for about 14 years and work with teens, adults. Suicide definitely comes up working with parents on what do we do definitely comes mm-hmm. up. So um, I think this is a much needed conversation. And my name is Lindsay Leighton. I work with Sarah Cook at Life Tree Counseling Center. So that's been super fun. I um, am a licensed clinical social worker and I work with children, teens, adults. And like Sarah, I've also worked with a lot of clients that have had suicidality, suicidal mm-hmm. ideation, suicide attempts, been hospitalized, the whole thing. Um, Particularly, I've seen that with my teen population. And so I'm grateful to have an opportunity to speak on this. Thank you guys for being here. So uh, we were just talking before this, and this podcast series is about how do I talk to my kids about these topics. And so um, that is a completely separate conversation, really, than suicide in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we have that conversation, we just sort of want to walk through some things about suicide, the topic itself, because um, it's a scary topic even to think about for a lot of us. You know, I mean, um, uh, you know, I think this month is Suicide Awareness Month. We're recording mm-hmm. this in September. And so we know we need to talk about it, but it's hard to talk about it. And so really the first question is, and this is such a simple question, and it's probably hard to answer, but why does this happen? Because if you've never dealt with it or been there or had a loved one who's experienced it, it just feels like, why? How does this happen? I think that's a fair question to ask for sure. One of the ways I think about that is I look at um, like risk factors could give us some um, information as to why this might happen. And so what research shows in terms of risk factors for suicide would be um, history of trauma, abuse, chronic stress, a few effective coping skills with dealing with emotional stress, feelings of isolation. And the interesting thing about that one is that can that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't look like you have all these friends or this group of people. People can still feel very isolated even if they have friends. Um, or connections, Um, history of alcohol or substance abuse, a presence of depression or anxiety symptoms, and certainly feelings of like worthlessness. So those would give us some evidence um, as to why somebody might consider um, suicide or have suicidal thoughts. Suicidal ideation means the thinking about having those thoughts, and there's different kind of levels of that that we can talk further about if you want. Um, What would you add to that, Sarah? Yeah, I would say why is such a hard Mm -hmm. question to answer because we can't ask them. Um, Now, of course, if there's been an attempt and someone's still here with us, we can engage them in that dialogue um, because sometimes it's surprising. Sometimes... It's not the person we see struggling. It's not 
the person who's isolating, as Lindsay mentioned, sometimes a high, seemingly high-functioning individual mm-hmm. who's all of a sudden gone. And so, of course, in our in our sorrow, in our confusion, in our grief, we want to understand, like, why? Why does this happen? Um, and I think the key to most of those things is that there's this sense of hopelessness that because I can't see through the darkness and the cloud that I am in, that this must be better. This mm-hmm. must be the answer. I need relief from my suffering, and this is a desperate attempt at that relief. And so that's hard to sit in if you're someone on the other side of that, right? Because then we're like, was I not there? Did I not do enough? We ask all these questions. But I think really at the core of that, it's a sense of hopelessness that lends to attempts or actual suicide. And I would say even someone who has ideations who's really wishing that they were dead, but maybe not acting on it because maybe there's some protective factors for that. Like Mm -hmm. I can't do that to my family or I can't do that to my kids or like, I believe that that isn't right. Like some people will cling to that hope of like, I know God is who he says he is, so I can't do this Mm -hmm. even though I really want to. Right. And so sometimes it can be a really silent struggle that we don't even see people, um, in that suffering because, it's hard to confess that. It's hard to say I'm in such a place of desperation that I just want to die. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, there are people who talk about it. And I know Lindsay and I could both, you know, attest to clients who've admitted, you know, what they were showing with, what they were needing, and were able to get them the help that they need. And it can look different. And, mm-hmm. and there is hope on the other side of our suffering, but sometimes it's really hard to see that. I think that's what makes it so important to talk about exactly what you're saying, that sometimes it's not, um, it's highly functioning people. And I think about, Rachel, when you, we talked about doing this podcast a long time ago, I think it was right when Twitch, Mm -hmm. right, Um, who write a very um, um, public uh, display of of suicide, and it was just shocking Mm because he looked happy all the time, right? He's dancing, he has a family, he has kids, he has a wife, and it was just... That was even his persona, happiness. Yeah, yeah. and so I think it leaves people feeling really, really confused as Mm -hmm. to why why does this happen. Mm -hmm. Can can you guys explain to us a little bit, um, because you both mentioned sort of the difference between suicide ideation and, you know, maybe you said like there's sort of like a spectrum of what that looks like, Mm -hmm. because if, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. So, So what do you all mean by that? Yeah. Let me take or you want to take it. You go for it. (laughs) Um, So there are, and feel free to add in here. um, So when we as clinicians with the people that we're caring for, we're kind of, we are assessing their level of risk. Mm -hmm. And we do that. There's different ways to do that, but we're essentially looking for low, moderate, or high risk. Low would look more like that there are thoughts of wanting to die um, this would be the kid or the adult that's like, sometimes I think about dying. That thought kind of like comes and leaves and um, it doesn't stay with me all day, but it kind of pops in and out. They don't usually have, uh, or they're not going to have a plan mm-hmm. of thought through how would they take their life um, or an intent to do that 
or necessarily even um, a method or a means. So for those clients, the, those are the ones that we see um, in our office. Uh, once a week care that a therapist might be enough for them. Um, the moderate risk person is going to look more like somebody that has suicidal thoughts with a plan. So um, they have thought about how would I want to do this. Um, they give, yeah, their thoughts kind of go there. They may have an intent or a method to do that. Those people are going to be ones that we are really more monitoring more closely about do they need a higher level of care, higher level of care, and what this looks like in our system right now could be an outpatient um, clinic where they would get uh, more therapy more than once a week, or some, oftentimes it looks like group therapy, and um, you know, a lot, making sure that they're uh, the people that they are, live with or they're aware of what's going on. There's more eyes on them essentially. And then high risk is going to be the people that have a plan, have an intent, and maybe they've rehearsed um, it in their mind. Maybe they've um, gone to the place they thought about doing it. There's a lot more um, kind of actions, movement in place there. And that person is going to be somebody that we would uh, need to have 24-hour mm -hmm. um, observation on them. And so those would be the people that are oftentimes – uh, would need to be hospitalized um, in our, maybe you can speak to this area if you want, but in our kind of system, the way it works right now is usually that's going to be pretty short term, <clears throat> and kind of acute care, maybe like a week or so. And then there would be some referrals out from there as to what discharge and following up with doctors and therapists and whatnot would look like. And unfortunately, we don't really have any, like in the Bay Area, um, hospitalized hospitalizations for those people would be those are all in Houston at this time mm -hmm. um yeah would you add anything yeah I would say with the the moderate to severe risk we're looking at a lot more ideation right so the thought of wanting to die is more prevalent um daily maybe even so there's it's not just about the plan, but also just kind of being flooded with this thinking, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're unable to get out of that line of thinking, especially on their own without help. Um, and so that's where the higher levels of care are, are typically needed because left to themselves, then they're just thinking about all the time. And that's really hard. If you mm -hmm. think about any struggle that you mm -hmm. have, if you're just always thinking about it, how hard it is to fight against that struggle, right? And so that's where that care, um, looking different, being more intense is really is really needed for people. Yeah. So um, what, are, what are the warning signs? So if you are someone who's just, you know, outside in the life, you're not a, you know, you're not someone who has any education on this, um, how can you sort of see that and step into someone's life? Is there a way to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think Lindsay touched on some of those. Like if there's mm -hmm. been trauma, if there's a history of um, depression, if there's a lot of major life changes that have been really difficult, um, those could all be things to just pay attention to. Like not necessarily assuming someone's suicidal because they're going through a hard time, but it puts me at a different risk factor mm -hmm. than someone who's not. Um people whose mood changes. So let's say 
um, you are more of that bubbly, like engaged person. And now you're kind of keeping to yourself, um, not going to social events for like students or children, like not wanting to be with their friends, not engaging in their regular activities that typically bring them joy. Um, those are all things that we would say, Hey, like, I definitely want to Mm-hmm. want to use some curiosity and some compassion and engage in this with them because this is a big change. And sometimes that could be our typical life stage transitions, especially for teens. So again, not always so a hard. flag for like, oh no, something horrible yeah. is about to happen. But instead, something I definitely want to engage them in. I don't want to just pretend like it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not they engage with you might depend on, on where they are, but those are definitely some things to, to look for. Yeah. That's what I was thinking is that it's, um, parents of teens, right? This is so tricky because, sorry, they want, it's natural for them to want space and to want to be in their room more. And it's good for us to give them some of that space, um, we're really going to push them away if we just hamster squeeze them and want them by us all the time. But I do worry about my clients um, that spend a lot of time in their room, that isolate themselves, that are um, maybe glued to social media, that are not engaging with their friends, that are not engaged in anything after school. That's just a lot of time to think. It's a lot of time to be in your head. Um, so it's a, this is where we can talk about like, what's it look like to engage, mm-hmm. you know, engage our kid in that and to really be ha- having more feelers out about like how they're doing more of the outward warning signs. I think that you could say, well, you talked about some of those, right? Like the, I think isolation is a big one, but if you hear someone just talking about wanting to die, mm-hmm. if you hear them, certainly if they're making a plan to do that, if you're hearing thoughts of hopelessness or just kind of like, I have no purpose, there's no way out, I'm miserable, um, someone that's feeling trapped, like there's no end to their pain, expressing themselves as a burden to others mm-hmm. um, might be something we are kind of listening for, expressing extreme anger or rage. That would be more typical of what we would see in teenagers because depression for teens often looks like irritability. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always look like sadness, I think, especially with boys. So paying attention to that. And then certainly withdrawing from family and friends. Um, those would maybe be a few examples. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sense of feeling like a burden um, can be a really big one. Um, I've heard it several times from clients, like, it would just be better for everyone if I just wasn't yeah. here. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure if you're a parent listening, like, that grieves your heart. Because mm-hmm. if your child is saying that, like, clearly they are in a place of deep sorrow and sadness, right? And so we want to have compassion for that. We want to care for them well. If we're hearing those kinds of phrases, we need to get them help. Mm -hmm. And as much as we can engage them and talk to them, you're not going to have the skill set Mm -hmm. for giving them the help that they really need. And that's when we need to be a little proactive and like, okay, like this is like, this has evolved a lot. And so we really need to get you plugged in with some resources so that we can get you help because you're of great value and great worth. You are the, mm-hmm. like God created you with all of this beauty. And so even if there's brokenness, even if there's great pain, even if you've really messed up, mm-hmm. 
Like nothing is too far from repair. Like there's hope in the work of Jesus and we want them to be able to see that um, or know that even if they don't see that, you know, because that can be something someone desperately holds on to, even if they can't see it. It's like, okay, okay, Jesus, That's you're real. saying this. Mm-hmm. Like you, you say this about me. Like I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't even know why, but okay. And so if there's some foundation for some of those beliefs that can really help mm-hmm. um, in difficult seasons where they might be struggling with some of these things. That's like uh, what you were talking earlier about is people who do have those sort of boundaries to taking that step. Like, well, God really does love me. And so it is sort of like a, it can be a help even whenever they're mm-hmm. in that place. Mm-hmm. So um, how can, can you tell me, because you said like you, they need to get help, but here's some things you can say. So as a parent, if you're worried about your kid, so your first step is just to, I mean, you said just engage, right? I mean, because isolation and engagement is what you guys are talking about a lot. Mm-hmm. So just engage with your kid and then at some point figure out if they need the next step. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I would say probably what's really critical is all the conversations we're having before we get to this point um, that I take my role as a parent very seriously that I steward that well, that I, that I recognize there is brokenness in this world that my child is going to see, is going to experience, is going to even do and be the creator of. Mm -hmm. And so the conversations I have with them about good and evil, about God, about how do we have discernment in difficult things? Like where does wisdom come from? That I have access to wisdom from, from God, but there's also people who are wise that I can turn to and I can trust to help me when I don't know what to do or when I'm struggling. And so as we, in an age-appropriate way, as we're, as we're teaching our children about life, it's about teaching them about all these things that are realities. And that's not going to destroy their innocence. If anything, it helps give them tools for discernment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if they don't know, how how can they discern, mm-hmm. right? And so instead, as I'm engaging with them, I'm also telling them or showing them that we can talk about hard things, Yeah, mm-hmm. that you don't have to have the answers. I don't have to have all the answers. You can come to me with something and be broken and we can figure it out. Yeah. Um, and we can get help if we need help outside of that and that it can be okay because you're loved and accepted and we want to be here for you. And so I think how I engage in those things, when my child comes to me and tells me that they've messed up in a big way, how I respond to that, mm-hmm. how I hold dearly like sin and brokenness is a real thing but also so is grace and forgiveness and I want to lavish them in that I want them to know that our God it never forsakes us he is with us always and so as a parent I can mirror that for my for my child and so hopefully you know we're we're doing that throughout their lives so that when these kinds of things come up there's already this experience of we can talk and dialogue about things. Mm -hmm. And 
if you're that parent that hasn't done that up to this point and you're like, oh no, I have <laughs> teenagers, <laughs> I've messed up or whatever, like it's never too late, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you or can adult use, kids. Yeah, yeah, even adults. Oh my gosh. Like yeah. you can they use- still need you too. <laughs> I think what we forget is like we can use our the day-to-day happenings as opportunities to engage in hard things. When we're watching a show together and there's this topic that comes on that sometimes maybe we cringe on the inside because it's like, oh, great, mm-hmm. like now we're, <laughs> yeah, here you we know, go. Right. Um, probably everyone has something in their mind that they could think of with that. <laughs> That's an opportunity to go, hey, yeah. did you notice this happening in the show? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what do we know to be true about this? Like, what does Mm -hmm. God say about this? Like, what would you do if if this was you? Or what would you do if this was your friend? Like, there's all these ways that we can talk to them about things that isn't always about them directly in their crisis or in their brokenness, right? But rather as a way to go, oh, like, I can think through this and then... If I'm worried about talking to mom or dad about it, like who could you who could you talk to? Who would mm-hmm. be a trusted adult that you could share with that you know would bring wisdom, right? And usually that's not our peers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and although I mean teens especially tend to run to their mm-hmm. peers for things or share first with their peers, right? And so that's kind of twofold is like our peers really that are young people really places for wisdom, but also you aren't equipped to help your friend in their brokenness. So mm-hmm. also you being able to come for help when you know someone else yeah. is struggling because there are people who can help yeah. because we don't want them to feel burdened to like carry their friend through. Most adults don't even know how to help people who are really struggling with something like suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. Like, um, unless you're trained in that, you probably don't know what you're like, Oh, I don't know what to say. What am I supposed to do? Right. So, so most certainly young people are not going to know what to do with that. But instead, when we, when we dialogue with them about this and like the seriousness of things like wanting to self-harm or like commit suicide or thinking through a plan that they need help that's beyond even like what they can provide as friends. Sure, we can love and support them and be there for them as they walk through this journey and hopefully um, move to a place of healing. But also we want to point them in a direction that's really helpful to them that actually can get them to that place. Um, Whenever I'm listening to y'all talk about this, um, I was just thinking that and y'all just correct me if I'm wrong, but like a lot of these conversations, because you were saying like you need to make sure that your kids are like, they know like there's brokenness in the world and you are loved and there's grace in life and you're going to mess up and all these things. Um, you know, just just being with our kids and not putting more shame on them than, I mean, I think that can be hard as a parent. Like we want them to be good and want them to do the right mm-hmm. things, but just the shame that can oh, yeah. just be heaped on kids you know, yeah, in and the we world. live in such an achievement culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I think especially in the suburbs, mm-hmm. and we get wrapped up into that as parents, right? I think it's so easy for us to see our kids as a reflection mm-hmm. of us, and mm-hmm. so we don't want them to mess up. Not only because we don't want that for them, but because we don't want how does that make us look yeah. as a parent? And it gets really sticky when we start to do that because we we miss it. We miss. Um, we miss our kids in that. We miss opportunity in that. 
And you know what I hear you talking about, Sarah, which is is so good, is this does not mean that there aren't consequences mm-hmm. or there aren't we're not disciplining our kids or we're not um, you know, when I think about consequences, especially for teens, or it, it for me that looks more like um, this is a we're learning to trust you, and so it may be taking away an opportunity or a privilege until you can show us that we can trust you again. But all of these conversations are held with, um, we love you unconditionally, no matter what, just like Jesus does, right? Like we are modeling that in our home, that we want our kids to know that we are a safe place to come and that that doesn't mean we're going to hold this over their head forever or everything in their life is going to, you know, be taken away forever. Um, but that we say to them, Hey, we know that you're going to mess up at some point in your life. Um, because duh, like we're all (laughs) sinners. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect, but you can always come to us. Mm -hmm. Like we will talk about that. We will guide you through that. You are, you are never, you know, essentially not welcome here because when kids hold on to that information, that's when the shame builds mm-hmm. and they, they start to make these, um, stories of, if I tell my parents, they will, I'm working with a kid right now. She's held on to kind of this secret for years, years, and it just came out in her family. And if she would have been able to feel like she could have told her parents years ago, oh my gosh, so much grief that would have been saved for her. And, um, so when we think about that, when I, like, my kids will probably need therapy one day because they're like, oh my God, mom talked about everything, <laughs> too, too everything, talking. right? Like too much talking. So my 11 year old just this week, I don't, I don't know. I think I told him I was doing a podcast on suicide and I was like, do you know what suicide is? And he was like, no, I was actually surprised. Mm. And I was like, oh, I thought I had that conversation with you. But, um, I was like, I'm going to tell you what it is. It is when someone thinks about or does take their, their life and, we just had a conversation about that. And I was like, buddy, if you ever feel that way, come to me. If you ever hear a friend say that, come to me. Um, we talk about in, in our house or with, with clients, if the if friends come to you for like these four reasons, these would be reasons that you would want to tell an adult mm-hmm. that it is not, that is not yours to carry. This would be mm-hmm. self-injury. This would be suicidal thoughts. This would be someone that's not eating, disordered eating behaviors. This would be if you hear of abuse going mm-hmm. on in their home or bullying. Um, so we're just really clear about those that's things really, really with helpful. our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Clarity with your kids and in your own head and heart. Like when when should my kids be telling me, especially mm-hmm. as they get older, yeah. it's like they well, don't want to share everything. And it's, you know, what, going back to some of those foundational things like – the difference between a secret and privacy, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we all have a need for privacy, secrets yeah, that's true. that have to be held. You know, there's mm-hmm. a difference between, oh, so-and-so has a crush on somebody, you know, right. and not sharing that. But when we're talking about serious matters, like secrets, if someone's saying you can't tell this to anybody, that's a cue that I probably need help with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's Because... Helpful. That protects everybody. That protects the other human involved. That protects your child from maybe taking on something that's too heavy or, you know, and some like we can play out hypotheticals with like they're going to go and like try to rescue them from some dangerous situation and then they're in danger type of thing. That is just not good for them, right? And so, 
even with my almost six-year-old, like we talk about the difference between like secrets and privacy because it's good for them to know that difference. It's good for them to recognize when a secret isn't healthy, when a secret is actually a point of darkness and not a point of help or like hope. And so even those basic things, you know, can really help our our children know like, oh, we've talked about like, I don't know if this is one of those things. But then they could come to you or a trusted person be like, hey, if someone were sharing Mm -hmm. this kind of secret, would that be something that needs to be shared? Mm -hmm. And that way they again know like, even if I'm uncertain that I can come to the table with this and we can dialogue about it and we can figure it out together. and again, like how we react and respond to that is really is really critical. And also how we see our own, you know, as parents, our own brokenness and our own sin as we react and respond and engage because we won't do it perfectly. So if you have a moment where you do not handle the disclosure of a serious thing well, like there's grace covering for that. We want yeah. to take ownership of that. We want to ask for forgiveness. We want to name the wrong in that reaction with our child or with our family um, and engage that well, but also know that there's covering for that and that we don't have to be the perfect parents and showing up for our kids in order for them to be able to build these skills that really help them in their life, that really help them be discerning wise humans one day. Yeah, I think you can always like you can always circle back. Oh yeah, you know you can that, that opportunity is always there. I think one of the biggest myths when we talk about suicide is that if you ask somebody, "Do you have thoughts about ending your life?" that we are you are then increasing those thoughts or increasing mm-hmm. the chance of them doing that, and that is absolutely not true. And so I think one of the best things that you can do for anybody in your life, your kids too, whether they're showing signs of depression or not is you can just ask them. You can just say, hey, have you ever had any thoughts about wanting to die? Have you ever wished you went to sleep and did not wake up? Do you ever feel so bad that you think about ending your life? Um, you can ask them those questions. And even if the answer is no, you can say, if you ever have those thoughts, I'm here for you. Um, so I think that's one of the, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest myths and one of these things that we can just kind of like take ownership of, of that it is okay to ask your kids. It's okay to ask other people in your life mm-hmm. that question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's that's really, really helpful because I think sometimes as parents we think, well, I don't want to even put that in their head. Mm. I don't want to put that in anyone's head ever. Yeah. But I really, um, you know, again, just listening to you guys, like just talking so much about dialogue and community. So just just the willingness to be to to not be isolated, to step into really intimate community with people and just ask questions, just talk, yeah. which is what we want to do. Like any any of the conversations we've been having throughout this series, that's really like it doesn't you don't have one conversation about this. Mm-hmm. This is a relationship with you have with your kids where you're talking about all sorts of things. So then when it comes to something like this, you're already talking about lots of hard things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. And with kids, I think too, right? I think sometimes we think, oh, we're waiting for the kid to come ask us that question again, because if they don't, if they don't ask us, well, then maybe that means they don't know and they don't, we don't need to like talk about that yet. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you they know, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <clears> that <throat> they know way more than you think that they do. Yeah. What's that, <laughs> Excuse me. that phrase, mm-hmm. um, 
if you don't talk to your kids about this, they're going to get that information elsewhere, which I feel like isn't accurate. I Mm -hmm. think that regardless of whether or not you talk to your kids about an issue, they are going to get that information elsewhere. So do I want to be proactive and in the forefront of that so that they know we can talk about these things? Mm -hmm. Hopefully before that's ever an actual Mm -hmm. issue they have to face in their lives. Or do I want to sit back and wait and be reactive where maybe now they've gotten a lot of misinformation Mm -hmm. from different sources and now we're having to filter through lies, untruths, Mm -hmm. um, and bring them back into the truth Mm -hmm. with these really hard things. And so I can cultivate like this dialogue with them like, we want to be truth-based. Mm-hmm. The truth is the world is broken. The truth is thanks to the internet and all the things, we have mm-hmm. access to all kinds of stuff that generations have never had access to. Mm-hmm. That as parents, you are working out of like yeah, trial and error because no one's done this before, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can either be in denial of that or... Just hope that they're protective and protected enough that they don't have to experience any of those things. Or we can recognize that there's goodness in that dialogue and hopefully they don't yeah. have to experience some of these things. But maybe if they do, they then know too like where that goodness is, like where the truth is in this. Or at least they can go, huh, like my mom and I talked about that and that's not how the conversation went. Mm-hmm. And taking that other information going, okay, like I need to ask some questions, right? And that they can be curious with you or again with a trusted person and like, and be like, oh, what did you find out about that? Or after that conversation, what did you think? Did that create some doubt for you about this topic? Um, And because especially like with, with Christians, like I think there would be a stigma attached to if I'm really struggling with Mm -hmm like wanting to live or major like depression and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Like, am I, am I lost? Am I really a believer? Am I really like, we can start to question all that. There can be a lot of shame attached to even bringing that into a conversation Mm -hmm. because I shouldn't think these things. I know somewhere that this shouldn't be in my head. Right. And all those things could be barriers for someone disclosing, even when they really want to and even when they're in a place of desperation because they're worried about how that's going to be perceived they're worried about how that's going to be received and responded to and so we need to recognize where in those kinds of disclosures like care and empathy is critical because they had to be very courageous to muster up this dialogue we're bringing this topic up. And for kids, sometimes that may come in the form of a question, not a direct disclosure, right? Mm -hmm. So if a friend was Mm -hmm. saying this, Mm -hmm. what would be good to say to them? Or how could you help them, right? So they might come at it from a different direction to kind of test the waters and see. And that's a good opportunity to say, yeah, it's interesting that you asked that. I'm curious where that question came from. Like, have you noticed that with a friend or is that something that you've even 
struggled with or thought about. And that way, again, we can just engage in that opportunity that's in front of us to say, okay, well, let's talk about this. Even though that feels real scary. Oh, yeah. As a parent. Oh, yeah. Or and intimidating. Or a friend or anybody. <clears throat> and for a lot yeah. of people, probably like, am I going to mess this up with right. what I'm about uh-huh. to say? Sure. Yeah. I was also going to add to that, Sarah, that um, you also have the kids that We'll, we'll just would we'll, we'll never ask you anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have one of those. I mentioned this in a previous podcast. Um, but so with this child of mine that I have, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing. Don't um, say his name. Okay. Her, <laughs> name, her name, her name, her, 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 her name. In my last podcast, I outed this, this child, so I will not do that on this one. Um, but, well, I will if I say the gender. How do I do this? This child, this child, uh, they, um, I have to, with them, <laughs> sorry, making this really weird. Um, I have to say, Hey, I, I just don't need five minutes of your time. Five minutes. I'm going to set the timer so that, that, you know, I'm not going any longer than five minutes. And I'm just going to talk to you for a hot second about this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's, and, and oftentimes for me, it's usually what I'm hearing in my office, but for, I think there's big ones that we can consider hitting as parents that as they get older, that they're you know, um, certainly puberty would be one, um, cutting cause that is, they're going to probably hear about that suicidal thoughts. They may hear about that. Um, uh, bullying, uh, you know, just these different ho- kind of topics. And you can certainly get some information about these things on the internet too, but just saying, Hey, here's what this is defining it for them. Here's what this might look like. Here's what you, this might be what you hear about, if you ever have any questions, I'm here. Mm-hmm. We're just we're just putting it out there. We're just putting yeah. it out there for them to know. Oh, mom's a safe person. Dad's a safe person to talk to about this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just and that's an a great Anything. point to bring up. Like, I need to know my child. Mm-hmm. I need to know if they're the kind of kid who is going to come and be curious and mm-hmm. ask questions, or the one that's going to be like closed mouth about mm-hmm. stuff, right? Because the more I understand how they are, right, the more I know them in that level, then I can use strategies to engage them in a way that's going to um, create an openness and not a shutting down. And so I think it is helpful to pay attention. Like if you notice there's a lot of things changing with your kid, you do want to be proactive in that kind of conversation. Um, I do want to know that if my kid's the kind of kid that's not going to talk, that I don't want to be the helicopter parent that's just like over them all the time because that's not going to encourage them to talk. Mm. Um, If I know I have the kid that's really curious but maybe doesn't always ask the question, maybe I invite those moments for curiosity into the moment. Like, Mm. hey, I'm wondering if you have a question about that or mm-hmm. what you're thinking about this, right? And so knowing your child, um, and they might be different if you have more than one, mm-hmm. how to engage them in a way that's really going to help them feel comfortable with the uncomfortable, you know, that they know there's safety in the uncomfortable, even if it's like, oh, gosh, I really don't want to mm-hmm. say this right now, or I really, yeah. like, Mom, I don't really want to do this, but then they know, like, they know that it's an okay place for them to share. Mm-hmm. And it's, just, it's such an investment. I mean, you know, like, Lindsay, you were saying, like, there's, there's all these topics that we really have to do that with, which takes 
knowing your kid mm-hmm. and takes all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's really important because there's so much going on. Yeah. The yeah. car is a great place to do it mm-hmm. because then they don't have to look you in the eye. So mm-hmm. it actually makes it a little bit more comfortable for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially those boys. Mm-hmm. I would say if you, um, if you're a parent and you're like, okay, well, how do I do this? Or what are some of the topics that I should or would be helpful for me to be engaging my like kids to teens and like, how do I start that? I don't really know. I've never really done this at all. I, I feel kind of at a loss, even though this sounds like a good idea. Um, there's a book called Safeguards by Julie Lowe and it is excellent. And it walks through all the issues that you think you probably are going to deal with with your kids in the book and why it's good to engage them in these things and how can you go about that. And so um, I feel like that's a great resource for parents um, because it gives some framework for this if you're feeling like, okay, is this okay. a good time? Is yeah. this not a good time? Is that the right thing to say? If you're really questioning that or if you just want information on are these things good to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got that um, book yeah, after you I recommended not? it to me. Um, yeah. It's good. It's a great, it's a great book for that. It uses, she uses a lot of scripture to kind of like mm-hmm. um, reference things like wisdom and discernment and like where does our help come from? Like she's really great at intertwining all of that, but also gives a great framework for like this is how we can pursue our children in this and, mm-hmm. and help cultivate like discernment and wisdom in our family. That's so helpful because I think for a lot of parents, if if your parents didn't have those conversations mm-hmm. with you, you know, if, if these were topics that like they wouldn't have even consider talking about, yeah. it's hard to know yeah. how to, I mean, you have to really yeah. learn how to, this is okay to talk about it and I need to talk about it, but it's hard yeah. to take that step. It's yeah. intimidating for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Or like what age? Like Right, when, when do I do that? Yeah. What is the age appropriate dialogue yeah. for this topic, right? And there's a lot of that too, that um, we want to make sure we're engaging in an age appropriate way, but yeah. that starting those dialogues early can make a significant difference because again, like we're, we're in this broad sense, helping them understand like good and evil and like then, and it's in the world. And then how do we, like, what do we do with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, um, it can be a temptation for any parent, um, who's a Christian to sort of, you know, bifurcate our lives, our lives a little bit. So we go to church and this is, we learn our lesson at church and then we go home, we live our lives. But, um, if if we really are following Jesus and we're integrating that worldview in our lives, and this is one part of it, you know, which I'll keep talking about, there is good and evil and it is broken and I'm broken and you're broken and we have to like work through that together. So it's just a part of this larger discipleship, really. It's just a hard part. Mm-hmm. But it's really important. I mean, it's not like this other separate conversation mm-hmm. that we're having with our kids whenever it pops up. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's a part of our daily mm-hmm. lives, just like hopefully we're, you know, engaging with God daily, you know, like how we engage our kids, like it, that relational aspect, right? Like I can't have closeness if I'm not really engaging them in those intimate ways. Like if I'm not really coming to Jesus with like my sorrows and my hardships, like I'm not really in an intimate engagement with him, right? And so if that is true for us, then also is true for like us with our children, right? Like 
the only way we can really be in that dance is if we're engaging with it. And for us being the adults, you know, like we get to be the forerunners of that. Um, but I think kids can be pretty good at it too. Um, sometimes oh, yeah. just natural curiosity and like, because they can talk really openly sometimes about stuff without filters. Like sometimes yeah. you can get some good conversation going without even yeah. having to try that hard. Like, oh, you know, my we'll son comes this. home every day and is like, I heard this word today. What does that mean? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, Fine. we're going there. <laughs> it's such a great opportunity, though, to, to really intentionally show your show your kids who, who God is, though, mm-hmm. his character. Mm-hmm. You know, because like you're saying, like when we go to God, with everything that's going on in our lives and we know that he still loves us Mm -hmm. and he can handle any emotion we have and he's still for us that if we can do that for our kids then that helps them believe that that's who god is Mm -hmm. you know it's such a huge part of their faith it's an opportunity it doesn't have to be as scary as it seems Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so i want to ask you guys um what if someone has already gone through this so Mm -hmm. what if um someone has lost someone to suicide, um, how, how can the church as a people, because this can be ta- a taboo topic in lots of ways, so h- how can we love people well who have walked through this? I think that's a great question. Um, I think first we have to understand that grief can be really messy mm-hmm. and that something like suicide just intensifies that. Um, because it's a complex grief. Yeah. Complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Because we can ask a lot of questions about like why someone had to die in, Mm -hmm. you know, a spontaneous like accident or whatever. Like we lose people unexpectedly and we can think about how difficult that is. Mm -hmm. But then you have a family who's left with, they made this choice to go, right? Mm -hmm. And they're asking why this have to happen, or maybe they're just heartbroken. Maybe they're angry. Uh, maybe they don't know what to feel. Maybe they're kind of numb to it. That in many ways, it's similar to like anyone who's grieving. We want to be there, like be a presence for them. I don't think there's anything magical you can say that's really going to bring comfort. I think comfort and presence is probably the most critical thing in grief because. It isn't something to fix. My anger and sadness when someone has chosen to take their life is not something that has to be fixed within me. It is part of my human design. And so I can sit in that. And so if that means someone's a hot mess, maybe you're just sitting with them. Maybe you are on the couch with them as they tell you what they're thinking. Maybe, that ministry of presence. You know, like they're weeping. Maybe you're weeping with them. You know, where you can say, yeah, I see your pain. I see your heartache. I see your sorrow. Um, We're here for you, right? And I would say, like most people in grief, you tend to get inundated initially with when there's a loss with people, right? Like people bring meals, everyone shows up, there's all this family around, whatever, and then it goes quiet. And that's when you're left with the processing and the setting in all the discomfort. And so I think we want to be especially mindful of that when 
it's a situation like suicide because that grief is probably going to linger and look a little bit more intense and different than maybe someone who lost someone under different circumstances. Um, and whether or not they're people of faith, like that might that might make them cause to question their faith. It might cause them to question the goodness of God, like mm-hmm. how could this happen, right? And so these questions that are big questions that people can ask in times of suffering could be questions that come up in a situation like this. And we don't have to have fancy answers for that. You know, sometimes that's a, I could see how this might make you question this. I could see how this pain is so great that you're left with a why that hasn't doesn't have an answer and you're mad at God mm-hmm. that you don't see his goodness right now. Doesn't mean that it isn't there, but it's understandable that you don't see it, right? And so we can be people of truth and love in that. Um, delicate with the truth, I think, because we don't want to like hit them over the head with mm-hmm. it when that's just not what they're really needing in that moment. But I think presence is is very critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was just thinking of, um, yeah, just that ministry of presence. I um, think with people that are grieving from a loss of suicide, that it's easy for other people to come in with a lot of assumptions mm-hmm. about, oh, well, if that person took their life, well, that meant X, Y, and Z about them, or that meant X, Y, and Z about this family. And that is just not fair and oftentimes not true. And so just being um, aware of that in your own heart and letting that person tell their story without kind of making those assumptions. Um, And uh, yeah, and really just kind of being present with them, just entering in, right? I think about just running towards that tension, just just entering in and going at their pace of what, Mm -hmm. what they need. And allowing them the space to question, allowing them the space to be angry, allowing them all of that is good and healthy and needed in the process of grief. Mm. And I would say if you if you know the person well, then just like parents knowing their children, like mm-hmm. you kind of know the kind of people they tend to be. Do, are they the kind of people who disclose? Are they the kind of people that hold stuff quiet? And so because of knowing them and them being well-known, we can engage them in a way that they need. And sometimes that might be being the person that asks them that hard question. We're not just pretending like that isn't a part of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, for the person who is ready to share all the things and dump every emotion on the table every time you see them, that may be more like bringing in more truth, right? So depending on where they are um, and their walk with God, like, their personality, um, and the, the closeness of your relationship, I think you can really be a vessel for goodness in that, um, so that they don't get trapped or lost in the grief. Um, and not that it's something to fix again, but rather just a way that we can really love them well in a difficult season. And I think about grief as we want to be with these people for the long haul, mm-hmm. um, because grief, right, it is not just a one and done, you know, and um, it's years, it's it's a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, so just how can we show up for those people um, in some really just powerful ways throughout, throughout 
really the rest of their lives, mm-hmm. whatever that might look like, depending on your relationship with them. Yeah. Um, let me ask you guys one more question. Um, because I just think we should, um, if someone's listening right now and they're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm actually honestly struggling with this and I haven't told anybody or I think, I think I am or whatever it is. Um, you know, what, what, if someone's struggling with thinking suicidal thoughts and wherever they are on the spectrum, what, mm-hmm. what should they do? What can they do? Mm-hmm. I mean, the first thing I would say is share with a trusted person. Um, and if you don't, you aren't sure, I would, I would seek out professional help. I think that's going to be critical either way. Um, if sometimes that's a little tricky because if you're really actively like suicidal or if those ideations are strong, kind of as we talked about, like we're in these higher risk factors mm-hmm. for something happening, um, we may need to go to the emergency room and mm-hmm. say, I need help. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're somewhere in that lower spectrum, like there, there's probably opportunity for like engaging in, in counseling. Obviously a therapist could help you differentiate between the level of care that you probably need. Um, but at the minimum I would share with a, a trusted person, like don't, mm-hmm. don't let the darkness of this secret keep you captive mm-hmm. because light can be shed upon this and all we have to do is like open our mouths and if you don't know if you have a trusted person for sure like staff here could sit with you and then help get you connected to resources like there's you know I think there's ways that you can engage in the community but I would most certainly want to bring that into the light yeah Yeah. and there's also the suicide hotline number um that is a person that is trained to talk to anybody that is having um, suicidal thoughts. For teens, there's also, I can give you this information, but um, there's a number that they can text if they don't want to call. Talk. Yeah, and I've actually had several clients that have used this, um, and it's been very, very helpful um, to them. And I had a teenager that was in crisis And based on the text conversations, they sent a police officer out to her house Mm -hmm. to do a well check on her because her parents were not aware at that time that the thought she was having. So I've kind of seen the whole process of that. So I really do recommend that resource too. And um, if you're listening right now and you are having thoughts um, of not wanting to be here anymore, I would ask that person, if you were sitting in front of me, I would say, what is keeping you alive? I see what has kept you alive. What is it that has kept you going? Because something has kept you here. Um, And I would want to harness that. I would want to know more about that. And I would say to that person, um, I know that it's probably so hard to recognize all the reasons that you have worth living. Um, Let me tell you some reasons that you do have. Um, And a lot of things that Sarah has already echoed in here, but God sees you, God knows you, God loves you, even though you might feel unseen, you might feel unheard, you might feel like nobody cares. That is not true. If I have a a client in my office, I will say to them, you're now in my life and now I care. And um, I will never, my life will never be the same if you take your life. I want want them to to feel that. I want them to feel that, that how much their life matters, no matter if I've known them for a minute or years, that 
um, that it matters, your life matters and it matters um, if you take it and um, that there is help. And like you said, bringing the darkness to the light is the first step, the hardest step, but the first step. Mm-hmm. And once we bring it to the light, there's there's so much help. And then you have access to that hope um, that you haven't been able to see. And so let people help you because they want to. Um, and there is hope. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much. Really, this was, I know uh, there's a lot more to say, but I'm so grateful for your wisdom and for your just love for people and for all the work you're doing. So thanks for offering some of that to us today. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope this conversation was helpful. If you want to watch the video of this podcast or share it with a friend, you can find it at clearcreekresources.org where you can also find articles, music, and a lot more. Thanks so much for joining us today.